We've been doing a series, this is the last of a three-part series, on the, um, the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah, it refers to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Peace is not a, a wishy-washy, feel-good, idealistic thought from the hippies or flower power. Some of you might remember this era. Some of you might be scared that you're in one of these photos. It's not just something that beauty contestants refer to when they're asked questions about their hopes and dreams. I want world peace. When Jesus is referred to in Isaiah as the Prince of Peace, it's a word that in Hebrew is shalom. And it's much more than just a nice feeling. It's a sense of wholeness, completeness, restoring something that's not put right together, but it's putting it back together the way it was meant to be put together. Peace is actually something that's very significant. And if we look at Jesus as the Prince of Peace, he's about restoring what is broken, finding what is lost, setting the captives free, giving sight to the blind. In John 10.10, it says, The thief comes only to seal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Peace, shalom, abundant life, the way it was meant to be. And the first thing that Jesus offers us is peace with God. He's come that we might know God, that we might be forgiven, that there might be intimacy, that we might be able to worship him and know him, that we know the value that God places on us, that we can be fruitful and, and, and serve in his kingdom. There's so much that God offers in terms of that wholeness, that completeness, that peace with God. But it doesn't actually end there. Jesus demonstrated his peace to us and he continues and says, let's, let's take that peace, that, that wholeness, that new relationship that we have with God and let's extend that and model it with our brothers, our sisters, our neighbours, those around us. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we start with this amazing peace that's given to us as a gift from Jesus. And we extend it to those around us as we live and as we relate to those people. But it doesn't end there either. Because when Jesus wants to create and restore this wholeness, he doesn't want it just in me. He doesn't want it just in you. He doesn't want it just between us. He actually wants us to extend that to peace on earth. In Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's being his witnesses? What's telling people about him? That he was a nice guy? Know that he was the Prince of Peace, that he has created a way that we can be whole. The gospel, the truth, the way it was meant to be. He also said in John 18, when he spoke to people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That sounds like a full life. 
It's a bit, bit like the um, picture of a water droplet, the drop that's been put into the pond and it ripples and flows out. The pond didn't create the water droplet, but the pond received it and the effect of that flowed out and continued and spread. And so we're like the recipients of that water droplet, that peace with God, that gift of Jesus. And we can take that and go, that is awesome. But it's something that we're called to extend, to grow, to represent, to be part of. Now, this, this extending of peace, this peace on earth, is something that is actually naturally motivated. It's not out of guilt. It's not out of duty or obligation. Not out of rules or laws that the church or... God tells you to do. It's not out of tradition or culture or fashionable or popular things. Then they're not the motive for why we extend peace. There's one day a year that I'm not allowed to buy my wife a gift, a card, write her a letter, or give her flowers. One day a year. Can anyone guess what that day is? Valentine's Day. <laughs> now, in the context of this, it makes sense that if there's the culture tells you you should do it, a sense of obligation or duty or guilt that maybe you haven't done it for a little while, Tanya doesn't want it on that day. It's not real on that day. I had to get reminded, and it's a little superficial. Any day, every day, she'd happily take a gift or a card, or, or flowers. But on that day, she doesn't want just my duty. She doesn't want my obligation. Doesn't want the rules that I'm following. And it's the same with the peace that we extend. Jesus says in Matthew, Matthew 10.8, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. They all sound like peace to me. They all sound like putting back together things that are broken. And then he says, freely you have received, freely give. It's out of that heart of, wow, look what God's given me. This is amazing. I've won the lottery. But everyone else can win the lottery too. And I just want to extend that and give that and, and, and pass that on. It's out of that sense of worship and generosity and, and the fact that we have received so much. Last week I referred to the phrase, fighting for peace. Now, I'm not talking about fighting for peace. There's, uh, anyone know who, who that is? Not personally, but what, who he represents? UN Peacekeeper. Now, I'm not putting down what they do. I'm sure they prevent a lot of deaths and hopefully they're moving countries towards peace. But I'm sorry to say he's not a peacekeeper. He might be a war resister or a conflict suppressor, but that is not peace because it's not whole. It's not yet put back together. He might be helping the process towards peace, but he's not a peacekeeper. And so I guess it's really important when we think about fighting for peace that peace cannot exist without love. 
It's like a pizza without any toppings. It's not a pizza. Or a car without any fuel in it. It's useless. Or a Facebook account without any friends. It kind of just doesn't work. And in the same way, you can't have peace without love. They just cannot work. Peace doesn't exist without love. And if you want the most obvious example, if peace is, is God's plan and desire to put things back together the way they were meant to be, then when it says in John, 1 John 4, 8, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Putting it back together has love. So if it doesn't have love, it doesn't have completeness. It's not put back together right. And so it's not peace. And so when we think about peace and we think about restoring things to being whole, we've got to remember, without love, it's not peace. Matthew 5, 43 to 44 says, You have heard that the law says, love your neighbour and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Many people have done things in the name of peace, but if they're, not without, if they're without love, they're not peace. And as we fight for peace, we've got to understand that we're not actually fighting in the sense of aggression. We're actively pursuing. We're earnestly seeking. We're vigorously endeavouring, striving towards. This is the fighting that we're doing. We're standing up for peace. There's um, a passage of the gospel that I've actually merged. Well, I haven't. It's a book called The Harmony of the Four Gospels. But it's a, it's a blend of the four accounts of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I just want you to just, just hear these words. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with sword and club to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus fought for peace. But he was very clear that he represented love and that the peace he represented was a different style of fighting. He did not play their game. He did not fight their way. He demonstrated to us the way to fight for peace. His patience, his mercy, his gentleness, his compassion, his self-sacrifice, always that he fought for peace. 
And peace requires this sense of action, this fighting. It says in Matthew 25, 37 to 40, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see, see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you, we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Again, they're all pictures of restoring things that are broken. Peace. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When we've received the peace that God gives us, we can't, we can't sit there. Not, as I said before, out of obligation or duty, but because we value so much that which we've given, that restored life, that, that new life, the hard thing is, though, that we're, we're fed a different story. The media paints a picture of hopelessness. Peace on earth. Really? Like, that's just a fairy tale. Bad news sells newspapers. And we're painted a picture that it's not even worth trying. Give up. The battle's over. Peace, it's not going to happen. There is hope. And I just did a little bit of a, a look at, at some of the things that you may not have heard in the media. 40% of suspected malaria cases in the last 10 years, there's been 40% more of people being able to go see a doctor or a nurse who's got malaria. Deaths in battle are the lowest that they've been since the Second World War. The percent of risk of maternal death, death after having a child, I'm not sure whether it's the child or the parent, but it's more than halved in the last 20 years. And Africa has a big problem still, but it's halved in Africa. The chance of dying from having, after having a child. The population living in absolute poverty is decreasing. In some regions of the world, in Southeast Asia, where there's a, Asia and Southeast Asia, 65% reduction in people living in absolute poverty. Now, for the 12% of people still living in poverty, it's not over yet. And I'm not trying to say that we can just sit back. Did you know Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world at 25 million people a year? You didn't hear that on the news, did you? You've been fed a story about it's worth giving up and it's hopeless. And you've been told that peace on earth is a pipe dream that's, that's rubbish. Jesus hasn't given up. He hasn't, he hasn't given up hope on us. And there's good news. Not only the news that he offers us, but things are changing. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in John 4, he said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, I don't have to go looking on the internet for statistics about peace on earth being a reality. I just look around this room and I can see that peace on earth is a reality. There's people here who, who work in Myanmar, 
in Swaziland, in Fiji, changing the lives and education opportunities for kids. There's people here who give opportunities for people to have a career making jewellery in, in slums in Bangkok. There's people here who, who give light and hope to, to people who are uh, ch child trafficked or, or in prostitution. There's people in this room who help support and supply food and needs for, for the desperate people who are struggling to make ends meet in Pakenham. There's people here who counsel others in strained relationships. And there's obviously a lot of you who are loving on kids who are in desperate need for love. <laughs>